Hey everyone, welcome back to the Saxa podcast, the first five years. I'm your co-host, Agassi Rodriguez, coming at you from Clemson University. Hi everyone, this is Erica Aguiar coming at you from the University of Florida. I'm sing-songy today, Agassi. How are you? You are very sing-songy today. How do you do, girl? I'm good. We are good. We have our coffee. It is Friday, Friday. Friday. Solid Orange Friday. Whoop, whoop. I'm out here rocking the polo at home and my little orange turvis. What about I you? I wish they girl? could see it because the outfit drink holder collaboration here is just wonderful. I know, I know. We we love a good feature. Uh, we love a good feature. And we Starbucks love sponsor us. Starbucks sponsor us. Actually, this is um, some cafe bustelo from my, my little uh, uh, cafetera, my little uh, si. espresso maker. Si. <laughs> just my. My un poquito. <laughs> Tell me how my abuela calls me. So I don't think we've ever talked about this, but I have two abuelas. Abuela Luisa calls me every week. Um, I don't speak fluent Spanish. And so, and she only speaks Spanish. So I always use Google Translate. And she asks the same questions, which is, what are you eating? How is work? She still thinks I'm a journalist. Can't really translate that sometimes. And she asks if I'm, you know, y tu novio, so am I dating anyone? Never. And then she asks only about Icy. The other abuela, abuela Eddie, called me out of the blue and I was like, something happened. And I just, it was so caught off guard. I could not understand what she was saying to me. So I just kept saying, see. And I had to call my dad later and like make sure that everything was okay. And he was like, oh, she was just calling to like see why you hadn't called her about your birthday card. It's been resolved. Abuela Eddie, lo siento. Look, you know that. Look, all you need to tell her is periodista, no. Do you remember that time I walked into your room uh, while we were both at UF and I, wa- I found you in front of your computer using Google Translate to talk to your grandma? Why, I'm sure I can gonna, find a recording of that somewhere. Why are you going to put me on my, blast? In my archive. You literally just said to use Google Translate. You, but, blasted but you didn't yourself. have to say that it's been happening for this long. <laughs> Consistency is key, Erica. You know, the mm-hmm. important, you know, oh, we, all, we all form our habits. Uh, but welcome, folks. Uh, welcome. To the first five years, now that we've gone on that wonderful journey um, together, uh, welcome. We have arrived. Um, this week for our challenge word, well, for Erica's challenge word, brouhaha. <laughs> Excuse me? Not to be confused with shark bait, brouhaha. Okay? I just want to be very clear. This is a very I- different kind of brouhaha. So this brouhaha, to give you a, somewhat of a definition, um, is an uproar or a big event, okay? So not like a bruja. No, not a bruja. No, not a witch, Erica. Okay. Can't. <laughs> I, someone's really flexing the espagnol today. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> the Spanish. Wow, look at us. Uh, oh. But yes, brouhaha. Um. You could just, uh, if you just enter that in the chat so I can properly <laughs> spell it. Um, this is going to be a rough one, y'all, I'll be honest, but it's Friday and we're excited to bring you the first five years, our favorite little pot on the block, to talk about the things that matter most to us, student affairs and the journey of new professionals and how we kind of make sense of all of the parts of this job and how we connect through it and, and just making sure that we can kind of be the voice of it all. Absolutely, y'all. We hope we can bring you some timely information based off of the calendar year. Um, and given the time of the life that we're in right now, we hope we can bring some relevant information about the things that are most affecting our professionals and our friends in the field. Um, and of course, like Erica said, just providing a public voice for our grad students or new professionals and any new professional, any professional that just uh, wants to gain some perspective. I'm excited for our guest today. It is Dr. Julie Owen. Julie is an Associate Professor of Leadership and Integrative Studies in the School of Integrative Studies at George Mason University, where she teaches courses on socially responsible leadership, civic engagement, and community-based research. She is a co-editor of both editions of the Handbook for Student Leadership Development, Josie Bass, tell me if I said that wrong, and Julie is also the author of a book published this year. We are the leaders we've been waiting for, Women in Leadership Development in College. Welcome to Julie. Bum, 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 bum. Yay. 
Thank you so much. Erica, you did it so well. It's like one big long run on sentence I'm realizing as you're reading it. So I, I, I could have paused a couple of times. You, it was going to take breaths. I appreciated you did that. So yes. thank you. I'm so honored to be on here. Um, and I'm a, but I've enjoyed listening to this as well and trying to remember what it was like to be in those first five years. What a um, a rocky but joyous time of one career. So yes, both of those words feel right. Rocky, rocky but and joyous. joyous. <laughs> That's right. I'm just putting my own stuff on you all, but that was how what I remember from my first five years. Yeah, it's, well, it's there. It's, it's there. there. <laughs> don't you worry. Yeah, don't you worry. <laughs> Definitely. So welcome, Julie, again. Uh, we're so excited. So for today's episode, we're really hoping to pull back the curtain on faculty life. So we have Julie here to talk to us about some of the transitions and some of the challenges, some of the successes, and some of the adaptations that our folks, our faculty friends, are experiencing right now due to COVID-related issues. Um, so we're just so excited to see how faculty are adapting to our I don't want to say our new normal, but our current state of the world um, and how we are better, uh, how we're continuing to serve our students and everything that is happening. Well, I feel um, honored and also stressed about representing all faculty everywhere, but <laughs> we'll talk about my- All faculty, every that's single right. faculty member, that's e Every single one, every single one. Nah. If, um, if any faculty are listening, uh, please call your <laughs> local representative, Julie Owen. Uh, you can find her information <laughs> later at the end of this pod. <laughs> I'm happy to share my journey and what I've seen with others. Yes. But yes, we know faculty are stressed and resilient. Um, the parent scholars out there, oh my goodness, creative multitaskers. Like, I'm just not sure Truly. how some folks are doing this. So I feel my single woman privilege at this point as far as I'm able to really focus on my work and have a, my own, you know, room for my work and all of that. Yes. To talk about. I'm very excited to explore what faculty are going through. So, Well, we're excited. But as always, my number one question is, Julie, what is the best thing you ate this week? Ooh, so I actually, um, I looked at this as a challenge assignment, which was, oh. what could I find, right? That was good, because I don't want to say macaroni and cheese, which is my usual <laughs> kind of answer. Good answer. So I'm also going to combine it with a humble brag. Do you know about that? I was trying to teach my students um, who are going to the job market how to do a humble brag. Um, but when I was at the wine bar last night with Dr. Mary Lou McEwen, of the multiple dimensions of identity model theme. <laughs> That's my brag. Um, he was a good friend of mine. She was nearby and was one of my uh, favorite professors when I was in graduate school. So she and I went out to our favorite little restaurant, COVIDly distanced. It was such a beautiful night. And um, I had my first steak since March. So I hadn't, um, I don't really cook meat at home. So I was like out and it was my first foray out into the real world, so to speak, as far as restaurant eating goes. And so I had this perfectly cooked, um, flank steak with a fabulous Paso Robles Cabernet. Um, so it was a perfect evening. How about you all? What an evening. <laughs> I am that jealous. So good. So good. Yeah, I'm hungry. Agassi. Oh, I guess Agassi wants me to go first. He's going to take some time to think. Okay, so actually, I had a completely different answer until last night at about 7.30 p.m. I have perfected chocolate chip cookies based on a TikTok recipe, which I've done before, but I was like, you know what? Let us try something new. So I made this Earl Grey cake and I can't, I move over cake boss. It's Erica. It was so good. It was light. It's not incredibly sweet, but it's, oh, I wish I had brought some for breakfast. Just bon appetit. Y'all want, y'all need a new chef. It's me. Okay. It's their recipe. So I didn't, you know, it's not like I created it, but I'm really proud of it. And it was so good. And my roommates can vouch for it too. So that's the best thing I ate this week. Quite a nice little humble brag you got there. We love it. Yes. Self-sufficient baking. I cannot. Thank you. I'm not a baker by trade, uh, but I am an eater by trade. Um, so I, for us, uh, my partner and I made um, sesame chicken from scratch, um, which is not all that impressive because the sauce is all of like four ingredients, but we did make it from scratch. And I was really proud of that because we even like tossed the chicken in like a coating to like form a layer on it and then the sauce and then cooked it all together and topped with sesame seeds. Bone up the teeth on that one. Um, we really enjoyed it, uh, but you know, hashtag self-sufficiency, um, especially during this time where we're not going out all that much. Uh, it was quite a nice little dinner. So good, Agassi. Oh. Both, and that's amazing. I'm, I'm impressed with your chefs, your students, and and 
cuisine uh, experts. I love it. This is this is probably one of like three times when I've talked about something I've made. It is mostly me eating out because I can't I can't cook real food. I can only bake. So can I ask a dumb question. How do you get the tea into the cake? Is it no, super good question. So it had two options. So I had loose leaf tea. Um, yeah. So it's, it wasn't Earl Grey, actually, but that's the name of the cake. I had the Queen's 90th birthday tea that I got in London. Uh, but this was a while ago, so it might have expired. Cake is still good. And so you did like three tablespoons, or you could open up a tea bag and do like a fourth of a cup that way. So it's actually so. the loose leaf tea itself. It's not like just brewed tea that's in the cake. It's actually Yeah, no, no. Tea. It's like, so there's like little flecks of it. Oh, it's oh, beautiful. I wish I'd taken a picture. You know, I'm, I'm fancy. What can I say? <laughs> so the next part that we're going to launch into is Agassiz's favorite, which is our rapid fire. Pew, 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 pew. Pew, 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 rapid. So Agassiz, sweet, sweet Agassiz. I asked my students this question this weekend, so I wanted to ask you. I asked each of them to bring in um, kind of like what, what some people call an anchor, kind of an item that's really, really important to you that kind of grounds you. And for some of them, it was really sentimental. For some of them, it wasn't. It was just something that they always had with them. So Agassiz, do you have something like that, something that you carried through all your seasons of life? And do you mind sharing more about it? Well, that is a good question, first and foremost. It reminds me of being in grad school and having to come to my capstone course with my professional and personal artifacts to talk about myself. Um, I would say something that has definitely been present uh, <laughs> which I feel like might be a little basic, but it is my espresso maker. Um, and I say not just the one I have, but the various variations that I've had over the years. Um, uh, I mean, I'm Cuban, so coffee has always been a very integral part of my background. I mean, I very vividly remember waking up most mornings growing up and to the smell of coffee being made. Um, so like that is just always something that just reminds me of home, reminds me of my family, reminds me of my mom. I even have a tattoo of the coffee maker on my leg. So I literally carry it with me everywhere I go. Um, but I would say that's something that I think keeps me anchored, even though I don't make espresso every day. I just, sometimes I think the simple action of putting it together, boiling it just reminds me of home. And even just to smell, I'm like, ah, like there's just a, a sense of calm that I feel like I get from like making my coffee. And it's just like that connection back to home and my family. So um, I would say my, <laughs> the various versions of my espresso maker, my little, little cafetera that I mentioned earlier. That's such a good answer. I love that. Um, I was going to tell, I just met Agassi last week and you'd had a several espressos before we met. And I just wanted to share since I can. Um, um, but I, it reminded me a lot of that Will and Grace episode where Jack was in love with the barista and he kept going by the coffee bar and he <laughs> kept getting more and more caffeinated. Anyway, I guess he was, I just came off. I was like, he's got a lot of energy naturally. And then when it's enhanced, it's really awesome. So, but what a beautiful story about your family. Yeah, he's Ruth a highly said. caffeinated man. We love yeah. him. <laughs> highly caffeinated man. I'm going to put that on my bio, actually on my Twitter bio. That's a good one. I have espresso enthusiast at the moment, but I do like, <laughs> caffeinated what did you say <laughs> highly caffeinated man highly caffeinated there you go always oh I'm, I'm next whoops my bad okay so julie um i know you know you just released a book about women in leadership and i know that's something obviously you're very interested in so i'm just curious who is a woman in leadership or a big public figure um, that you have not met or talked to yet that you would love to just sit down and maybe have a nice dinner maybe some coffee, but just someone you'd like to sit down and chat with? What a great question. Oh my gosh, so many. Um, you know, I'm going to say, this is sad because she just passed, but I would have given my right arm to talk to RBG um, and just hear, I'm such a fan of hers and everything she did for women over the years. And then also how she lived her own life and she had this deeply loving relationship and she was so authentic and she started at a style trends, you know, like just um, thinking about her with her lace gloves and the different collars and like how she was sort of iconoclastic um, in a place where it sort of strips identities, you know, on, on how they sort of show up in the Supreme Court. So I would have loved, loved, loved to um, meet with her and have more conversations. So great, fantastic question. Um, I've got, so I'm feeling less creative this morning. Um, normally I'm on fire. It's been a doozy of a week, right? Um, but I don't want to cause a brouhaha, um, but I would like Oh, come on. <laughs> you can't take it from me. 
<laughs> but um, I was going to ask Erica, so I'm going to use the book of questions, or how people know the book of questions. Um, but so if you would pick a number, Erica, between 5 and 259, this will figure out the question I'm going to ask you. 18. 18, okay. I did cut out some of the pages, only had questions about love and sex, so I did not include those in our podcast. I, yeah, okay. thank you so much. So pick a letter a, a, B, C, or D? D. D. If you could have been the author of any single book already written, which book would you want to have written? Oh, goodness. Wow, that is incredibly tough. Oh, I recently just read a book and now I'm blanking on the name. Oh, uh, The Heart's Invisible Furies. It is one of the best books I've ever read in my entire life. I read it a few months ago. And I have a friend, Sarah, who worked in student affairs. And she has made, I'm not kidding you, 30 people read this book. It just has kind of grown. So I kind of think it'd be fun to have written that book because I feel like I would have impacted um, kind of a, a, a ripple effect. So I'm going to go with that one as my quick, fast answer. I love that. I'm a big reader and I've not heard of that. So I just I took a note. It's the person who wrote, um, oh gosh, I'm going to look up the other book they wrote and then I'll interject it at some point. Awesome. <laughs> and then that's me. Back to you. Turn it over. So we're recording on a Friday. So I want our listeners to kind of know, and if you don't have an answer to this, that's fine. Is there anything that like when you get that Friday feeling, like something you do immediately when you get home or, you know, some sort of weekend tradition that just kind of caps it off and is like, all right, we're done. Yeah, it involves wine, but <laughs> that's okay. But, but definitely, I um, I try to really unplug from work right about Friday afternoon. Some, you know, I don't know if you work at a community where they're like, "Can we meet Friday at four? And I'm like, "No," <laughs> because that's the weekend starts for me. So um, I just really enjoy like kind of winding up Friday afternoons a little early. That's part of faculty privilege. You can set your own schedule um, and having a nice glass of wine on my deck or maybe taking a little walk, um, you know, in the area to get some fresh air and just put me in the weekend state of mind and then try to sort of be screen free on Saturdays if I can. Um, that's my, my personal goal um, to really separate because if you don't, it feels like you're really just, you could work, if you're working from home and living from home, you have to make these rituals or you just feel like you're always working. At least I find that. So great question. Woo. All right, Agassi, you ready? Let's Pick a it. number, 1 to 259. 113. Okay. And then A, B, C, or D? A. <gasps> this is deep. Are you ready to go deep? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Let's go. it says, if you could be forgiven for one thing in your life, what would it be? This is not a simple question. Sorry. Forgiven for one thing in my life? Yes. If you, that's a, I know. You can pass if you want to. Give me a second. The next question is, if you had to secretly dispose of a dead body, how would you do it? <laughs> <laughs> so I'll give you the choice. I have an answer for that, but I will. Okay. You, can, you can do either of these questions if you prefer. <laughs> Erica, does your answer involve the Everglades? Because that would be a very Florida answer to give. No, actually, um, uh, Everglades the, Everglades, the Everglades water preserves bodies um, and DNA, so you don't want to do that. Ah. Okay, so thank you, Erica, for that tidbit. Uh, <laughs> for providing that. Uh, uh, wow, if I had to dispose of a body, where would I go? These seem equally challenging to you, which is actually making me giggle. <laughs> I I mean I think I'm gonna uh, I think I'm gonna stick to my original answer. Well, my 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 imposed answer on Erica. I think I would go to the Everglades, <laughs> and I would I would talk to I would talk to quote unquote the alligators there and be like, hey, can we like work something out here? Um, like I'm not trying to get caught. Uh, so maybe <laughs> advantage of the Everglades, you know. Hashtag uh, reduce, reuse, recycle, I guess. You know, we're just, I'm, I'm going to end my answer right there because I don't know. Moving along now. <laughs> Thank you. Um, wonderful. We're just going to hold up a, a, a what's it, a standby, like, sorry, we're having technical difficulties for the next couple of minutes. <laughs>
Agassi, you ready to ask me my final question? I know that uh, that's a hard one to follow. <laughs> okay, boom, boom, boom. Erica, if you could only fly in one direction, which direction would you do? What kind of? I would go west because eventually I'll hit Australia, which is where I studied abroad. So, and then California is like my favorite state. So just pop off to Disneyland, go to Napa, Hawaii, and then go grab me. You can only go one direction though. Yeah, that's, do you mean I can only fly to one place? Cause that's all west. No, like, okay, okay. So you just, okay. Cause I'm just thinking Hawaii is a little, a lot south. It, I'll just jump out. You just jump out? Parachute. <laughs> I like that you imagine that you were on a plane, not that you were the actual one flying. Oh, yeah, I did imagine I was on a, okay, we gotta just keep it moving because today we are all just in like, I just jump out. <laughs> Well, thank you all for participating in Rapid Fire. We're going to go ahead and transition to our name. That. Scott. See, this is why we need a recording of that. Because Erica, you, like, Erica put herself on mute and then just started playing, like, playing with her hair. Still thinking about but, the murder. I'm sorry. No. Uh, we are not condoning murder on this podcast. Please, no. thank you so much. Uh, uh, but we're going to now play our Name That Scott game. So this is where I get to ask our guests and Erica to correctly identify institutions based off of their mascots or vice versa. I might give them an institution and they have to name the mascot. Um, important to note, all these institutions are in the Saxa region. Um, so wanted to give out a quick shout out to all of our, our, our higher ed friends in the area. Um, and away we go. So for this first one, they are known as the Cavaliers. Oh, 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 I know. Oh, oh. buzz in, buzz in. Go, go, go. Sorry, that, thank you for picking Virginia School. I'm assuming it's the University of Virginia, yes? Ding, 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 ding. Wahoo, wah. There you go. We got went, the University of Virginia. I went to William & Mary, and we sort of were rivals with UVA. And I had this terrible t-shirt. I, I shouldn't tell you about it, but it said University of Virginia where the grades are inflated and so are the egos. <laughs> what, a, what a mean t-shirt, right? Yes. I think, I think it was like this weird, like we're nerdier than you. It was a weird nerd off between- I love it. And my, um, two of my closest friends went to UVA for law school. So I feel like I am very connected to Charlottesville. So wahoo wah. Such a beautiful that. place. Amazing. Oh gosh, what a campus. My nephew, I think, is trying to get in there right now, so he really wants to go to UVA. The vineyards around there are great, too, but we'll chat offline about that. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. You got it. The University of Virginia, located in Charlottesville, Virginia, of course. And then it was founded, fun facts, it was founded in 1819 by none other than Thomas Jefferson. Um, you know, what he missed? Well, he did it. He got funded an entire institution. Um, and supposedly, I haven't done much research, but supposedly I remember hearing long ago that he did try to take over William and Mary, the institution. And when he couldn't, he said, okay, I'm going to do my own thing. And then he founded the University of Virginia. Yes, UVAites would say he had such a bad experience at William Mary had to found his own the own university, like just to give fair equal time, right, for the for the comeback. So there you go, there you go. So look at that. Uh, shout out to my grad school professors who shared that information with me during uh, my foundation's course of higher education. Alrighty. So for our second, um, and I forgot to mention this, but both of these institutions are in Virginia. Uh, so so a special in to your our honor. There you go. Um, but the second institution, uh, the mascot's name is Duke Dog, but they are known as the Dukes. I know this too. Do you want to, Erica, do you know? Ding, ding, ding. James Madison. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> We're okay, doing good, good today. Yes. <laughs> Julie would have won that one though, let's be clear. Took I was second. worried. I, you were very gentle to me. I have no sports competency, so thank you for picking schools I went to. Right <laughs> now. Um, I did my master's in student affairs at James Madison. Oh, uh, yeah. An amazing yeah. time and um, worked with one of the, the mascots there, one of the top rated in the country with the mascot competition. So Duke Dog was one of my students in my emerging leadership class, but you're, you know, they're sort of confidential when they're the mascot. And um, anyway, so I, 
love me some Duke dogs. Thank you for bringing him up. <laughs> Absolutely. So James Madison University founded in 1908 and it is located in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Um, and I know quite a number of folks have also graduated from James Madison. Lovely things to say. I think at some point I've heard it been referred to as the Disneyland, Disneyland of institutions um, uh, because of how I graded it. Oh, Erica, uh, Erica. Tell me more. <laughs> I am curious. Well, that'll be have to be offline because if, this is going to be a long episode. <laughs> if there are any job postings at James Madison University, please hit up Erica. Um, well, Leslie, I'm not, I'm don't, don't do that. Come on. <laughs> I knew you were going to follow up with that. <laughs> Miles, I'm also not job searching, you know, just to be safe for both co-hosts. Um, well, awesome, y'all. Thank you for playing. Uh, that concludes our Name That Scott game. And now, we get to our question section where we get to have a nice and casual chit-chat with our guests and, of course, with each other. Um, so, Julie, thank you again for being here. We're so excited. Um, you know, first and foremost, can you just give us a quick overview about what you do, maybe some of the classes you teach, and maybe some of your research interests? Sure. So, so um, I, I was in student affairs for 12 years running leadership and service learning centers. I'm so old that back in the day we called them volunteer centers. <laughs> and then we transitioned to service learning, and now most of them are called community-based learning. Um, and so I was in centers and there was a, a theme in student affairs at that time of combining leaderships um, development with community-based learning or service learning. So that's my student affairs background. And then I um, transitioned to the dark side. Um, I was running leadership classes out of student affairs and we started, we started getting credits, credit for classes and having a curriculum for leadership. And then all of a sudden I found myself in a tenure track position <laughs> um, coordinating leadership studies at Georgia Mason University in Virginia. So I teach courses on leadership theory and practice and women in leadership. And I teach some cool courses on, um, I have a class called Research is Resistance, which is about research methods that are take critical and emancipatory approaches. Um, and I still am affiliate with higher ed. So I teach student development theory and leadership and orgs to fund doctoral students and master's students as well. So kind of what, I, my courses are, and my research is all of that same stuff, right? And I do do a lot of research with undergraduate and graduate students, um, but really looking at the intersections of college student leadership development, um, leadership identity, um, especially related to how leadership overlaps with other aspects of identity, like gender, or have some recent work on first-generation status. So that's kind of my jam. I have a lot of jams. Some faculty, should, they tell you should have a very narrow, you want to become famous as a faculty member, you should study one thing and then study, you know, everything about it and get known for that. And that's how you become sort of an expert. And uh, Miles knows this, but I consider myself more of a dabbler. I have lots of interests and get bored very easily. So I have an irregular research and teaching agenda because I, every few years, I like to find something new to look at. So that's my story. <laughs> I, I think my favorite jam of yours is the first gen stuff, but Agassiz and I are very biased in that. That's so fascinating. We will, we will have to ask more questions about that. Well, let me just, real fast. I'm in a school where over a third of our students are first gen, um, and many of them are not only first generation college students, but first generation Americans, of course, or Love they're it. undocumented, and we have a, or on political asylum, just because I think where we are, we're right near outside of DC. Um, we have students from all over the world. And so I've learned so much from them about how hard it is to navigate college as a first generation, things I took for granted that I had. Um, and so, but we have a place where it's first gen pride. One of those research pieces I did a couple of years ago, um, we actually found that Mason students who are first gen scored higher on affiliation and belonging than non-first generation yes. students. Which is such, so different to what the normative data says, right? And it's because we are such a first gen forward kind of place. So um, they, the students who are first gen reach out before students even get here and make connections. And we have um, my friend Gratzella McCarran built this beautiful website that's all can be um, navigated in a hundred languages. Um, and it's all for, it's for parents and students. It answers like basic questions about Mason and connects them with resources. So just a lot of really cool supports um, for first generation students. So yes, I'm so glad that, <laughs> that you're doing that. Yeah, I'm, I'm geeking out here. So George Mason, <laughs> thank you for doing such good work and especially to you, Julie, as well. So I really like that you kind of mentioned that since you began, things have transitioned, right? We used to call these volunteer centers and now look at how leadership has grown. 
how have you and kind of largely George Mason or institutions had to adapt to where we're at now and online teaching, but you know, beyond that? Yes, well, so we're the largest um, public institution, we're well, the largest institution in Virginia. We have almost 40,000 students at George Mason now, wow. and only, we're not even 50 years old. So we're young and rapidly growing. We have three campuses in Northern Virginia, and then we have a Korea campus. Um, so, but most of our students are online. Typically, we have about 6,000 students in residence. Um, but with COVID, they've done such, again, we keep getting um, really good accolades. Partly, I want to give a shout out to our VP of Student Affairs, Rose Pascarella, but um, to work so diligently with student health and emergency management and all the different factors to really make a comprehensive plan. So we have about half of our residential students, about 3,000 students back on campus. Um, and maybe, I think they said maybe it's a third of the courses that are in person. So things like lab sciences and things that are harder to translate online um, are, are, and a lot of the first year experience FYE courses are in person so the students can feel seen and get connected. And then most of the rest of us, including myself, are teaching online. Um, and then people, they really give faculty the choice. You can teach distance learning, you can teach asynchronously or synchronously. Um, so we had a lot of um, choice in what our comfort level was. Um, and then we had, you know, comprehensive testing. They tested all 3,000 students just two weeks ago. Um, um, and so they're just really ongoing doing surveillance testing with both students and employees. So we're getting written up as a success story in Virginia. I don't want to shout out JMU, but JMU had like struggles, right? Like they brought people back and then they sent them home and they brought them back again. But I also think it's because we're not in a bubble. You know, Mason students, many of them do already live with family um, and don't quite have the same sort of social culture as other places. <laughs> so I think it's actually helping us in this time that many of our students work full time and our diverse audience actually has made us more successful in battling COVID on campus. So I'll just put that out there. I think that's so fascinating. I think that's incredibly interesting to hear stuff that, pieces of this that you wouldn't think would impact success, but, but have. And I mean, I know that so many institutions are struggling, but I think that to hear, okay, well, students are like living with families and how that has kind of played a role in being able to get students, I guess, in a safer place, I would almost say, is I would not have thought that at all. Yeah, it's, it's kind of the first gen story, right? Um, um, about how students are having to make it work. And so they're not out there doing dangerous things. I mean, if they're doing dangerous things, it's because they're essential workers and they're exposed at their workplaces um, more often than that. But Which I also anyway. think, you know, thinking about first gen, this is not a first gen episode, but here we are. So many first gen students have to work. Yes. Because that is, you know, if we think about the overlap of first gen and low income, there's not that choice to not, not work to be able to pay for college, even if you are living with family. And so that just interesting. Well, and Erica, some of what I've seen just in my own students is that for various reasons, different family members, you know, have lost work or out of work because of their in the hospitality industry or they were, you know, uh, worked with the airlines or things like that. So all of a sudden, a student who might have been working anyway for college is now the primary breadwinner for the whole family. Um, so their work is becoming more essential. So it's been really hard. Like the challenge for the teaching side is know when students can't attend synchronous classes because they're working and they're like well this is a class and that's not you know work is that I value that you're doing that's not an excuse <laughs> you know and so how I support them in that but also um, uphold sort of the standards of the class um, I think I shared the story um, with you all in the preparation for this but you know I was calling on one gentleman he turned his camera on to answer it. I was like, are you driving a forklift right now? <laughs> like he was literally on a forklift. Oh my gosh. And I was like, maybe you should not answer a discussion question. Maybe you should focus on driving the forklift. <laughs> like it just made me yeah, really right. like, like Safety is, is crucial here, friend. But it shows the tension, right? The tension between um, supporting his family and his desire to learn. And he says it was so interesting. He really wanted to still be actively engaged. So he had something to say, but I'm like, just focus on the forklift and you can send your discussion, you know, thoughts later in an email or something. But, oh my gosh. So it's, it's, it's a for real, the, the tensions about all the priority, competing priorities right now for students. And it's also just so interesting because, you know, those tensions were, 
have always have are there always you know this idea of like students who have to sometimes choose between okay well not even choice it's like well i have to work so i can't get involved in all these leadership capacities and all these leadership opportunities that are present at my institution because unfortunately i have to work um and even to, <laughs> even considering you know when um we have leadership positions i think on campus and you know i've I've really changed my idea around paying leaders or student leaders. I remember in grad school, like I saw student leadership roles that like traditionally when I was an undergraduate, I didn't get paid for. So I was like, well, why are we paying? I don't understand. Like the experience is enough. And then I think slowly but surely I was like, okay, I get it. It's an equity thing because you know, if, if a student has to choose between being the president of an organization or working a part-time job because they actually need the money, you know, of course they're going to go for the money because that's, that's what they need. That's a need. Like if we think of Maslow's like hierarchy, like that is a foundational need. They can't become a leader on campus if they're not beating themselves, that they can't afford to like pay for their own um, things. And now with everything happening, that's only like amplified or highlighted. I think the issues that are happening because you, you're right, Julie, you know, we have students who have families who've, who've lost work. I mean, my own father lost his job recently and thankfully he was able to find something else that pays a little less, but like he was able to get back on his feet, thankfully. But I know there's a lot of folks out there like, you know, my family's struggling. Like, and again, it's that it's, you know, higher ed then becomes not a luxury, but it becomes something that's second, second and less priority because like, I have to take care of my family. Especially what you talk about with the student populations there who already live with their family. So it's not like they're in some far off place. They're literally in the same space as their families. I um, mean, that's something also to be attentive to. Well, and that creates another issue I want to make sure to talk about today, which is um, I think there's an identity cost as well sometimes for students going back to live with families. So I've had all kinds of students who, um, you know, maybe came out in class or are trying on, you know, I'm gender fluid and they, you know, they describe themselves differently in person. And then this semester, they're like, what I shared last semester, please don't share. My family's right behind me and they don't know or, um, you know, so people being forced back into the closet or not being comfortable or one student was like you'll see Fox News on I'm so sorry like apologizing to the class even though I'm sure others in the class watch Fox News but sort of saying my I don't like my family's politics and like so all of the interesting dynamics also about seeing them in their home environment has been so interesting um, I have students who are parents who are breastfeeding in class, which I normally would let them do anyway. I have a fa family friendly policy on my syllabus, but, um, you know, online. And so they're covering, but you're, they're clearly doing, uh, you know, their child caring um, for their siblings or for their own children. So just interesting to watch this. Um, another issue of people back in their homes is I have four or five Muslim women who um, wear hijab or covered in our, in my women in leadership class. And then my women in leadership class has very few boundaries. We talk a lot about, um, know sex and um, feminine hygiene and just you know there's no topic off limits and all of a sudden I realized they're in this very conservative um, for some of them um, kind of home situation and so I was you know asking I said Iman tell me what is it like when you have our class and we're talking about you know um, people who are sexually adventurous and like you know and she's like just because, well, the class, I never, uh, she's like, I always have my headphones on. And I, I never let my family see the class. And so it's just interesting to see that I'm actually creating tension in some ways in the home by having sort of a more open um, kind of topics in our class so the students wouldn't want their family to know that they're learning. She's like, I love this class best, but my family would not want me to study these things. And so I just feel that tension so much um, about when we put people back in the home for learning. So I don't know if y'all have thoughts on that. But. So many, because I think Very many. We, we don't get to see some of that, right? I mean, I teach a one credit class here at UF, so, so I think I'm, I would not consider myself faculty, but there is such a different dynamic having students learn from home. And I've had students who have come to me and all my students are first gen. Well, you know, how do I help family members understand that when I'm in class, it is, it is no distraction, right? I'm home, I can't provide childcare. And many of them do, they come in and I, I have had students who are bouncing a baby or who are, you know, in the middle of doing something because their family needs it. And especially for first-gen students, you can't always translate the college experience, but also students who are talking about, well, I wanna to go to office hours, but my family knows that I'm in class from this time to this time, that's not on my schedule. 
And all of these things I think are so confounded and make the transition so, so, so challenging. Uh, the minute that you know, we went and sent our students home, we released this list of 10 different things to help our first gen community talk about college and helping their families. But I think our faculty members, one, are seeing this more than anyone. Two, Julie, you're fantastic and I love you, a family-friendly policy and you're considerate of these things. And also, you know, some people are not. And I've had students who have literally failed exams because a sibling walked in the room. They're like, I don't have my own room here. And the assumption of privacy, the assumption of space is really privileged. And, you know, my students don't have that. And they're learning with three other kids at the same table on the same Wi-Fi. And yeah, I, I am glad to be able to talk about this and to hear from a faculty perspective and, and someone who I believe is doing it really well. We're even sharing the computer. I have to go now. It's my sister's turn with the computer. Oh my gosh, you know, and like they have four siblings and they break out who can have the computer. I'm sorry, I couldn't come to class. My sister had a test on the computer. <laughs> you know, it's so hard to navigate that or to imagine what that would be like and how limiting and how many assumptions we have. I also have students who are, um, were not able to get back to the United States for learning or why maybe they, you know, even wouldn't, but some of them are still quarantined. I have a student in China who gets up at two o'clock in the morning to attend synchronous class because she's so dedicated and wants to be there. And I keep saying, Hong, we can work around this. We can do other things, but she wants to be part of the community. So she sets her alarm at two o'clock in the morning to get up to attend our, you know, 4 p.m. class. Um, and so we don't think about that either, the displacement of people and like even just what is fair to ask of students. I clearly said we could figure a different, she could watch the recordings or we could do some different things, but um, it's really, it gets really real, as you said, Erica, like it becomes something. And I really hope, I hope more, I hope faculty, at least faculty I know are caring about these kinds of things. And Julie, you just touched on something that is so important and, and I think it's so like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like such an important element of what we're talking about here is the community. You know, I mean, you literally have a student who is getting up in a different country at two o'clock in the morning to be in class because they want to be a part of the class as it's happening. So like something I think, you know, as we're talking about all these changes and adaptations and synchronous versus asynchronous, obviously there's pros and cons and there are, there are benefits and drawbacks to any of the systems that we're going to enter into when it comes to like our new standard or our new modes of learning. But thinking about how students are still trying to figure out how can I connect to other people because they're in places where it's like, you know, like they're home. You know, and as you're talking about like the re-entering of the home, like I think about like queer students who, you know, as you mentioned, like might be out in college. I mean, I was out in college well before I was out to my family. I mean, they might tell a different story about how I've been out since I was little, but that's neither here nor there. But formally out and about, I was not out to my family until either really late into my undergraduate life or like even I think after was when I started, I think, formally being like, hey, y'all, here's who I am. This is me. Look out world. Here I come. So honestly, it's just, you know, when you think about the community building aspect, and I know as faculty, you know, I'm in graduate courses now and I know my, my faculty folks are like, we don't like this online learning. We like to be in person. We like the in-person discussions. And I get that, but it's also about like, okay, but how do we lean into what is actually happening and try to make something good out of what we have instead of, you know, I, I recently read something that some of the people who are most successfully navigating what's happening now are the people that lean into the uncertainty and lean into like the changes rather than like, well, we used to have this, we used to have that. And they're so focused on like everything that used to be and what we had and transitioning to like, okay, well, this is what we have. So how are we going to make the best of it? Um, which is so important. I mean, you, like I said, you literally have a student in a different country. It's like, I would rather wake up at two o'clock in the morning so I could be with my classmates than to have some other kind of an assignment. Um, and that might be for other students too, or like, no, I'm going to take this call during class while I'm driving a forklift because one is part of my grade and two, like I want to be present for this discussion because one, I'm paying for it. And I know first gen students get that. Like, you know, some of us, you know, not all of us, but some of us don't come from financial means. So like understanding that this is something that we are paying towards or on scholarship for, for sure. Completely agree. And I didn't realize, so I did not do a great job when we first pivoted this spring. I sort of gave up on the curriculum and just held the space and said, anybody who wants to come, 
once a week, let's have sort of and come talk about what you want to. So I really didn't give a lot of content or I didn't really give them their money's worth. Maybe I, I went back and forth myself about what was the right thing to do when COVID first happened. So this summer I was like, I've got to do, I've got to start learning. I'd always had a sort of a blackboard shell and, you know, I'm not tech adverse, but I certainly wasn't a, I realized that people are going to learn differently online than they learned in person. And I need to learn about that. I need to learn how to shift my pedagogy. So I was so fortunate. Again, I keep singing Mason's praises, but I got a faculty development grant summer that paid for me to kind of do full-time conversion of my courses with experts who helped. And one of the things that was so helpful to me is like, everybody thinks about sort of teaching presence online, like making sure, you know, the students know, you know, who you are and that they have a relationship with you. But we don't think about having, helping the students establish social presence with each other which is what you're talking about, Agassi. And I was stunned about the number of students like, well, I really love that you have us have a group presentation in this online course. Um, but I also give them class structured class time to meet with their group. So they're not trying to find that out on their own. That It's actually part of what we would do in our classes. Now let's get into your presentation teams and think about how you facilitate. And then they, the other thing I'm doing, which I was, again, not sure, um, about the investment, but I'm meeting with all 75 of my students this semester individually um, because it's 10, 15 minutes, but I'm like, I see you, what's happening in your life? Um, and I didn't realize how important those 15 minutes were to some of the students about connecting them with resources they didn't know about. So many, some of our students who just started this semester have never set a foot on campus, so they don't know, um, you know the function of an academic advisor necessarily or the financial aid could help them not put college on their credit card. So the number of things that have come up and barriers, um, one of my questions is what barriers are you facing in your learning when I meet with them? And it's just amazing what kind of has come out of that. So balancing this like social presence with students with each other, teaching presence with me, and then cognitive presence and making sure they have lots of assessment of their learning online so they can sort of self-piece how they're doing um, has been really important. So I liked that, that sort of that helped me that framework of those three things and thinking about how any online learning I design should have those three elements. That's been really helpful. That framework is so good. And I'm so glad you talked about that because I was just thinking about it as well. Like again, going back to that community building, like I was just kind of talking about, like, you know, we often, I think in student affairs, it's funny you talk about academic affairs as like the dark side, but I think sometimes in student affairs, we're like, we're the ones who like support. We're the ones who offer the programs. We are the, what is it, the 100% of the time the students are out of the classroom, kind of, I think, meant, uh, mentality at times, but also understanding that faculty members are also a source of support, are also a source of community building. And like, they're so integral. I know Erica mentioned that sometimes like faculty are the first ones to learn about issues with students or challenges that students are facing not the student affairs professionals, you know, a lot of times it's faculty who route the students to counseling and wellness or to different activities on campus. So like the things you're talking about and asking those questions about how you're doing and what barriers you're facing, that might be the first time someone is actually asking that student, like, I mean, as you were just kind of talking about, and oftentimes I think in student affairs, you know, we do talk about the dark side. And I think sometimes there is some contention between the academic and student affairs about like, okay, who does what? Like, you know, okay, well, you do this and I do that. And again, I think the there's a there's an emphasis there for the collaboration and understanding that like faculties are sources of support for our students and as they're learning because you're right like how much do you challenge how much do you support like how much do you push how much do you ask especially during right now where like everyone is kind of everywhere so like how much can you tangibly ask of people it's something that i think even on our side like i'm asking myself working with my colleagues i'm like okay how much can i like i push on this how much can i ask more for because everybody's going through their stuff and I think it's hard because it's like, not everybody's gonna tell you about their stuff. And that's, that's, that's also okay. Like, you know, people have their lives, people have the things that are, that are happening to them. Yes, I guess. So I, I guess the way I've gone around that, or I've started to say, um, I, I start my classes saying, I work really hard not to do any shaming or blaming in my courses of students. So you all are dealing with many things, work, life, home, other courses, Every person, I, every faculty member wants this class to be your first priority, right? But that's physically impossible. Everything cannot be your first priority. So I just tell them, I give them this little rant and say, so you're going to have to make choices all semester. You're going to have to make choices about what priority, what is first priority. I also, my job is to also make sure it's equitable and fair for everybody in the class. So I'm going to always uphold the standards. I can be flexible with you with enough warning. Um, but I, I also will understand if, if you're not doing this, it's not a judgment if you're turning in a paper late 
or other things. Um, you're making choices. I have to give this reaction when you make this choice, but that doesn't mean I don't care about you as a person and that I don't want to see you be successful. Um, and you're, what's successful to you might look really different um, than my expectations of what success is. So that's been really opening up conversations about, yes, I'm just trying to survive and pass this class so I can graduate in December. You know, and then that's a really different kind of energy that person's giving than somebody who wants the A, you know, the A grade. And so kind of opening that conversation and then freeing them from shame and blame. Sometimes I find students work harder when I say that or do that. So it's right to your point, Agassi. I can't think of a better kind of like finale to that. That I think that was so such a good wrap up to this and such a good point. Um, so if there's any students listening, please know that faculty care so deeply about you. Well, there should be, there's some grad students listening. So Julie, thank you so much. Um, I am not at all surprised that I pivoted this to first gen. It is very on brand for me, but thank you so much um, for sharing this. I already have an Instagram story ready to go to talk about some of the great things we talked about today because I'm just, I feel so jazzed. Um, and it just was so much fun to, to have this time. And I mean, it was just exciting and it was fun. I mean, it was like, it was like a party. It was like a brouhaha. There it is. It was a brouhaha. We really covered the waterfront from like how to hide dead bodies to like how to make people feel seen, <laughs> you know? We really went from A to Z That's, on this podcast. So it was that is how we do it. But <laughs> thank you, Julie. Thank you to everyone for joining us today for the first five years presented by Saxa. Pew, 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 pew. And thank you to Miles Sarep for producing this episode. Um, you can find more information about SACSA, the Southern Association for College Student Affairs, on the various social media outlets, including Facebook at facebook.com slash fanpage, on Twitter at SACSATweets, and on Instagram at SACSAgrams. You can also connect with your wonderful hosts, Agassi and Erica, um, on Twitter. Um, you can find me at Agassi, that's A-G-A, S-S-Y underscore R on Twitter. And what about you, Erica? You can find me at Erica M underscore Aguiar. That's A-G-U-I-A-R. Come follow me, please. To our fan. To our fan. fan. We, want, we want more. And Julie, we where can wanna... they fan you? Fan yeah, you. <laughs> I'm at Twitter at Julie underscore G-M-U. And J-O-N-4 at G-M-U dot E-D-U is my email address. And I'd love to, um, I, and I'd love to just talk a little bit about um, sending people to find my new book, We Are the Leaders We've Been Waiting For, Women in Leadership Development in College, which is available now through Stylist Publishing. And in February of 21, there's going to be an awesome facilitation guide that has modules from about 40 plus seasoned student affairs professionals about how we teach <gasps> about gender and leadership. So I would yes. love to just, um, there's so much wisdom in that book. I'm already using it. I'm like cheating and using the manuscript. So anyway, I was I would love to connect more students with that. It takes an intersectional approach to women and leadership development. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for the plug. Yes, <laughs> yes no, thank absolutely. You. Plug away. Plug it in, plug it in. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> well, thanks again, everyone, for listening. Tune in next time where we talk about more dead bodies and maybe some student affairs. For some more brouhaha. Check us some out. More next brouhaha. Time. Bye, everyone. Bye.